do want to continue to remember a lot of things going on in the church, a lot of uh, illness, a lot of uh, surgeries coming up. I know Sandy Payne has a surgery coming up on November 28th. Is that right, Sandy? And then tomorrow, um, Darlene's going to have another surgery on her knee, and we're praying for her and Ernie. Uh, we love you guys, and we're wanting God's best for you, and we'll be praying for you as you face the, the surgeon again uh, tomorrow. And, uh, and uh, we're, we're praying that some of these issues with, with Darlene's leg will be resolved. And then Dick and Karen in the hospital, uh, both of them are in the same hospital. That's not where you want to take your vacation together, right? And, uh, but we're praying for them, and hopefully both Dick and Karen will be out sometime tomorrow. Is that, is that the plan, Polly, do you know? Maybe not Dick, okay. So continuing, there a lot of things going on in the church. And so I hope you guys are keeping your church family in, in your prayers, that you're remembering each other, that you're loving each other, and you're there for each other. Uh, we, we need each other. And uh, so just keep praying. You notice the door up here, the, the, the new series is not Monsters, Inc., uh, for those of you who have kids. Uh, but it's Jesus here, and, and the image is, is, is intentional, uh, the, the image of a door, uh, the, as I prepared this series, one of the, the, the passages that kept coming to my mind was the, the image from Revelation 3 when the writing to the church at Laodicea, uh, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at your door and knock. <laughs> and, and I love that image, that image of Jesus standing at the door and knocking. So as you see the door, I, I want you to think about that. I, I want you to think of the door of your heart, the, the door of your home, the, 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 the door uh, of your life. Is, is Jesus standing outside that door and knocking. Uh, you know, th this whole ideal of, of Jesus here and Jesus being present to us is significant. And he, he is here for, for every person in this room, I believe. Whether even be, if you're not a believer, even if you've not accepted him as your savior, Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And Jesus is here if we just simply open the door for him in our lives. And so as you see that image, that, that's the image I want you to think about. Now, see, I said Monsters, Inc., and you'll be thinking that instead. But think of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart. It is Jesus. Jesus, is your door open to Jesus? And so we're, we're in our series, uh, Jesus Here, and we, we all have big dreams. Everybody in this room at, at some point or another, and may, maybe, maybe life has beaten those big dreams out of you, but, but, but we all have big dreams for our life, big expectations for our life. Um, when I was young, we had, does, does anybody remember those little Marx presidents that they used to sell at like uh, IGAs? Everybody's looking at me blank, okay? Blink your eyes, you're, you're, you're scaring me. Uh, did, did I hypnotize you? Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about? They're about three inches tall and they were plastic and they made them in the 60s, maybe the late 50s. And, and I had a set that went from George Washington to Lyndon Johnson. It actually went all the way through Richard Nixon. I don't know why my parents didn't buy me Richard Nixon. I, I don't know. Uh, but, but I had a set through Lyndon Johnson. And, and, and when I was older, I couldn't find my set, and so I purchased a set on eBay. You can still get those things, and now I have sitting in my office, if you've never been in my office, I have those little Marx presidents from, from George Washington through Barack Obama. Now, I'm not sure what Donald Trump's will look like, but, but, but I'll get it, I guess, if I can order it. Uh, so so th that was something that I remember when I was really little, and, and that's actually how I learned to read, was reading those names 
on the back of those little presidential figurines. And, and it developed within me a love for history, and a, particularly a love for presidential history, and, and kind of a, a draw towards that political side of, of life, that political avenue. And I can remember as a little, little boy thinking, man, that would be awesome to be president. Now, as a grown adult, I think now, man, that would be awful <laughs> to go through that process now, but, but that developed within me, and I'm sure I'm not the only young man, young woman, that had that aspiration. And, and so I can remember as a young child reading a book about Richard Nixon. Uh, that, see, you guys all have a, 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 a 2020 or looking back at Richard Nixon. When Richard Nixon was president before Watergate broke, he was highly popular, okay? You, you may not believe that now. And but, but he was. And so I can remember reading a book on Richard Nixon and he had went to law school and that began to develop that seed within me of law school. And then I became acquainted with Lincoln and, and Lincoln has been an, a fascination and, you know, Lincoln's lawyer um, training. And so that was kind of what drove me into law school. I, I had big dreams as a child. And all of us have big dreams as a child, I believe. Some of you out there dreamed that you would grow up and be a cowboy. <laughs> uh, some of you dreamed and that, that you were going to grow up to be an astronaut or, or maybe a dinosaur, I don't know. You, you had big dreams that you were going to be something, you were going to do something with your life. Maybe a, 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 a pro athlete or a, a professional singer or a fireman or a policeman. And, and sometimes we, we reach those aspirations and sometimes we don't. Even as adults, we have dreams for our life. We have visions for our life. We have hopes for our life. And we have dreams for our marriage. And sometimes they come to fruition and sometimes they do not. We have goals and visions for our careers and our educational process. And we have goals and visions for our kids. And we, we, we see them and our grandkids and there's these big ideals that we have for them in their life. We all have big dreams. And sometimes we achieve those dreams. So sometimes we check off those big bucket list items in our life. And sometimes we do not. And sometimes we adjust. And sometimes we just feel like we're caught in ordinary life, that we're, we're trapped in the mundane of life. You know what a rut is? A rut is a, a, a grave with both ends picked out, <laughs> kicked out. And, and sometimes, may, maybe a lot of the time, we feel like we're just stuck in a rut. Amen? Ordinary life, it's day after day after day after day, and the further you go, the deeper you dig. I got good news for you today. God wants to use ordinary people in extraordinary ways. So, so if you feel ordinary today, we have a God that sees you as someone that he can use in extraordinary ways. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that the newspaper is going to come and start writing articles about you, that you're not going to be featured on 60 Minutes or 2020, or they're not going to maybe perhaps make a movie about your life. But I've met ordinary people who are on fire for Jesus, and he's used them in ways beyond their talent. 
He's used them in extraordinary ways. We're in the Jesus Here series, and, and we, 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 the series ideal is the Christ event is not a point in history, it's a change in history. It means Emmanuel, God with us. It means Jesus here. And, and so today we celebrate Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit is with us today. And that is the significance of Christmas, that, that God did not want to leave us on our own, but he wants to send his Holy Spirit to live within us. And so we can experience Jesus in this place, in this holy place, as we've gathered as the community of faith, Jesus is present. And so last week, we, um, we talked about experiencing. How, how can I experience Jesus here in my ordinary life? And maybe we should have done the whole series just talking about how we can experience Jesus here. But we're going to make a shift here. We're not only beneficiaries of Jesus here. In other words, we don't only benefit from the, from the Christmas event, event, the Christ event. We don't only benefit from God being with us, but God invites us to be participants in Jesus here. You have, I have a part to play in this continuing Christ event, this continuing Jesus here. See, Jesus has left us with the task of continuing the Christ event. We are called to be Jesus here. Jesus has hands and feet in this building, and they belong to us. And he's inviting us not just to reap the benefits of salvation, but to be standard bearers for salvation. I don't know, that makes me kind of excited. Does it make you excited at all? That in this big, grand story of God, he doesn't just say, okay, I want you to enjoy the benefits, but God says, join me on my story, on my mission. Like, like the early disciples, I believe God stands before us today and says, I will make you fisher of men. <laughs> Do you believe that this morning? Luke 24, 46 through 49 says this. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day. And that repentance, forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. <laughs> Forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. You know, I heard you pray for Sydney today. And I got to tell you, God's laying a burden on my heart for people like Sydney. You know, how, how do we view, what do we do with the issue of our age? You, you realize there are, there are people dying all around us, right? 
Do we as a church still believe in heaven and hell? We do, don't we? So, So that means when people die lost, it should grieve our hearts. Does it? See, what the scripture says is that Jesus is inviting us to continue this mission he had, this passion he had for lost people. And as we go further in this series, we'll talk more about what this means. But but there's this drive within Jesus and he sees broken, hurting, lost people than the Pharisees, different than the Pharisees, right? You know, the Pharisees looked at people and what they say? Sinners, tax collectors, no good, not worth our time. And yet when Jesus was here, he mixed with these people. He loved these people. He reached out to these people. He cared about these people. He saw them with different eyes than the Pharisees did. They were worthy of his blood and his life. See, you have neighbors and friends. You have co-workers who who need forgiveness from sins. If it was worth Jesus' life, isn't it worth our lives? If people were so valuable to Jesus, shouldn't it be that they're so valuable to us that we're willing to give of ourselves? God has invited us on this mission of salvation. And I'm just going to say it, if we're depending on this mission being accomplished on an hour on Sunday morning, it won't get done. It won't. If this is all we're going to do, and we're never going to share, and we're never going to participate, and we're never going to be the hands and feet of Jesus outside these walls. The mission will not be accomplished. You are to be my witnesses. You are going to be my witnesses from Jerusalem to the end of the earth. Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. You see it? That this continuing story in Luke and then into Acts, that this, this same author, Luke, begins to write the book of Acts and there's this continuing story that, that we are continuing the Christ event, that we are the hands and feet of Jesus and we will not be able to do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Is that true, Dr. Purdue? Now, that's authority right there, Okay. You know, trust me, trust Dr. Purdue. We won't be able to do this without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come upon them and he, the Holy Spirit will dramatically change these disciples, these apostles, and they will do what was impossible before. They will be the hands and feet of Jesus. And then you have this great book, of Pentecost. You have, you have, on Pentecost, you have ordinary people. The, the, the disciples of Jesus were ordinary. There was, 
but for the Christ event taking hold of them and, and pushing them in a different direction, they would not be remembered on the pages of history. Some Galilean fisherman, some two-bit tax collector that, that was collecting taxes in Galilee, some unknown disciple, John, with maybe a little bit of an anger problem, None of these guys would have made any kind of significant mark in history but for Jesus. They were ordinary, common men. And full of his spirit, God began to move them out from Jerusalem. And they began to evangelize. You know how God moved them, though? First, he had to move them through persecution. Let's stop and ponder that for a second. The, the church, they believed, they were trusting, they were obedient, accepted the command to go, and they were happy in their families and in their religion and in their church in Jerusalem. And God nudged them out of Jerusalem with persecution. And they find themselves in Samaria, and there's revival in Samaria. See, there, there's a lesson to us as a church as well. I'm praying that God doesn't have to nudge us out of our comfort zone to begin to have a passion for this mission he's placed us on. So there's Samaria, and there's revival, and it's in Samaria that, that, that God uses Philip to, to preach to an Ethiopian eunuch on his way back home, that, that really the extent of Christ's mission is a, being accomplished right there from Samaria to the ends of the earth. And then they begin to call, use Paul and, and Barnabas and then Paul and Silas, and, and they begin to go on these missionary journeys all around Asia Minor. And see, it's the story of Acts that the Holy Spirit is moving the people of God, the ordinary people following him, they're moving him on his mission. And the good news, you know, that's what gospel means, right? The good news is spreading. And it's moving, and, 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 and that's the story of Acts. See, the book of Acts is the story of early followers of Jesus continuing the mission of Jesus. When you read the book of Acts, you could almost read it almost like a fifth gospel, as if, as if we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there's Jesus in the flesh, and then you have Acts, and there's Jesus wrapped in the flesh of the disciples moving throughout the known world spreading the good news, the gospel. You know, at some point, do some study on that word gospel and how it was used in the, in the first century. There, there's a really dynamic aspect of that word. See, that's, that's Roman language. That, that's what the Roman Empire would say. We're bringing you the gospel, the good news, and we're bringing you the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana. Romana. You guys have heard that, right? You know, so Rome would come into a place and they would secure, they would bring security, they, they would bring order out of chaos, and they would say, this is the good news the Roman emperor 
has control of this place. And Jesus' disciples are spreading this countercultural message. We're bringing the real good news. And it's our God through the power of the Holy Spirit that can bring you real eternal peace. Boys, I'm preaching that this morning. <laughs> I didn't think about this, but isn't that where we live? We're looking for a government to bring peace. And we ever always will be countercultural to a point where we say, governments don't bring peace. God brings peace. And so whether it's Hillary or Donald, it doesn't matter. It's still God that is the peace bringer. And they're continuing this mission of Jesus. The good news, the gospel, salvation, peace, healing, wholeness, life. Every aspect of our life is touched by Jesus Christ. Even in the midst of adversity, Ernie and Darlene, you can still have peace because you know who holds your destiny, don't you? Amen. Jesus brings peace. Finally, we have Paul, and he's arrested and in Jerusalem and falsely accused and, and sent to Rome. And Paul's a fascinating, his life, you know, on the way to, to, to being in prison in Rome, he's shipwrecked and he's bitten by a snake. That's not a good road trip from my perspective. And then Romans 28, 30 through 31, reads like this. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. And so we see the book of Acts really ends at the edge of the world, at the, at the center of the world, but really to all the known world. To be in Rome is to be in the known world. That, that the gospel, that what Jesus promised, that what this Jewish carpenter promised happened in his lifetime. By the, by the time, by the end of the century, Paul is in Rome. By 66 or 67 AD, Paul is in Rome. Now, this story ends... Many see this story as ending in an open-ended fashion. You guys know what an open-ended story is? Remember the Wizard of Oz? Okay. In the Wizard of Oz, was Dorothy dreaming or was it real? That's, that's an open-ended story. Remember, um, Inception was a new one. What, was he dreaming or was it real? Was he back with his family? Open-ended stories. Some of you like open-ended stories. Who likes open-ended stories? Who hates them with a passion? Because you want to know how the story's ending, okay? The book of Acts ends as an open-ended story. And, and, and there's, there's many suggestions. Some suggest, well, this was something Luke was compiling, but for some reason, he didn't get to finish the book. And, and, and tell us what happens to Paul. But many believe that this is purposeful, and that God, through Luke, is leaving this book as an open-ended story because God is inviting us to join his continuing story. That the book of Acts does not end on, in Acts 28, but it continues in our life. Some call this Acts 29 and suggest that we, the church, are living in Acts 
29, that we are continuing the, the book of Acts, that we are continuing the mission of Jesus. We're continuing to write the story, and we do that as Jesus here. That, that as we allow his Holy Spirit to infill us, and, and we are obedient to his will, then God can use us to continue to write Acts 29. Now, I think that's significant because I believe even though it's not written on a page and it's not sold in the bookstore, it's on the pages of heaven. That, 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 that is important of, as Acts 28 is to our Heavenly Father, Acts 29 is just as important. The things that we are doing today, the things that we do to advance the kingdom today are just as important to our Heavenly Father as the events in Acts chapter 3. Do you believe that this morning? You are writing. I don't know if this is the correct way to put it. If it's wrong, just forgive me. You are writing scripture in your lives even now. You're writing the story of God. As you allow him to infill you and move you and direct you, you are writing the story of God to our world. When we continue the mission of Jesus, we reveal Jesus here. Now, here's the truth. We cannot do this on our own. Somebody say amen, help me here. You can't. What we cannot do this on our own. In the next two weeks, next week we're going to talk about dependence on God. Jesus was fully dependent on his heavenly father. He emptied himself, he took on human flesh, and just like us, he was dependent on the Father. You say, well, you can't live that way. Jesus did. And he invites us to follow his example of being dependent on the Heavenly Father. He is fully sourced in the power of God. And not only that, he's fully obedient. Jesus teaches us, see, and, and this is a lesson I've learned as I've went through the scriptures even in preparation for this, this sermon series. You, you know, you know Jesus' life is significant, not just his death and his resurrection, not just the Holy Spirit, but Jesus' life is significant but because it teaches us the significance of being obedient to the Father. That Jesus lived this life of saying, not my will, but your will. Not what I want, but what you want. See, see, Jesus wants us to be Jesus here. And to be Jesus here, we have to be fully sourced in the Father. We have to be completely obedient to the Father's will. And those two things work together. And we'll talk about those for the next two weeks. But this week... Maybe you're feeling like something's lacking. Maybe you're, you're longing for more. Maybe you just... Maybe, maybe the ideal of Jesus here is something that... And to sense the Holy Spirit is something that you would really like. But, but if you were honest with me this morning, you'd say, Pastor, I just, I just don't feel like I'm ready. Or I don't feel like I'm there. 
See, I want you to understand, this is not about religion. It's not about knowing about Jesus, but it's about relationship. And I believe if there's those longings within you, that that may be the Holy Spirit prompting you to move forward in faith. I I grew up in the church. Um, And and I got to tell you, I I know the lingo. (laughs) Uh, Who knows the lingo? Who knows church lingo? Man, who, who can sling that lingo? when it's time to talk churchies. You know, I feel like sometimes we need subtitles up here because some of us have been around so long that we know all the language. And I'm aware that maybe some of you haven't been quite in church as much as some of us. Maybe you're better off. I don't know. But I'm aware in my life, sometimes God has moved within me in the midst of a sermon. Well, we call it conviction. And it's just the Holy Spirit will churn up your stomach and, and, and you'll, you know, you'll just kind of feel it right in your gut. And, 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 and that's not a bad thing. That's God kind of prompting you to maybe step, take a step forward in your faith. Maybe trust Him just a little bit more. Maybe this morning that's something that is going on within you, that you just kind of feel that knot, that you realize, man, this, he's right. I just sense he's right. But, but I, 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 what do I do? Maybe this morning you, you feel like, well, I'm just not ready. How can I, you know, I, I, you've got this level of perfection that you think you have to achieve, this level of maturity that you think you have to achieve before God can use you as an effective disciple. Be- before you can share the gospel, before you can share the good news with anyone else, before you can love or be generous or do anything to demonstrate Christ, there's this level of maturity that you believe you have to get to. You're just not ready. Complete readiness, hear me here, complete readiness is not the goal. Complete obedience is the goal. And oftentimes, it is in our unreadiness that God prepares us. There's some of you out there that you're thinking, if I get to a certain level of maturity, then I'm going to become an evangelist, or I'm going to sharing the gospel, or I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on mission. But it's only when I get to that level of readiness. There's this awesome story in the Bible, and I, and I tell you, I, I've read this thing. Preachers are like us. We have too much time on our hands, apparently. But I've read this thing probably two dozen times, and I've tried to understand what's going on here. Jesus sends out 70 before the crucifixion, before the resurrection, before the Holy Spirit. Sends them out on a mission. You know, go, go tell people what's going on. And it's significant, number one, because he sends 70, not the 12. And 70 is a significant number. This is an all-inclusive. This is a big number. It's meant to mean something. And I think what God's saying or what Jesus is saying, listen, I'm just not looking for the select few. I'm looking for you. I'm looking for all to participate in this. And the using of the 70 in that way symbolizes that. 
But there's also this level of their unreadiness. What are they proclaiming? Jesus hasn't died. Jesus hasn't been resurrected. The the Holy Spirit hasn't come. Later on, he says, okay, I want you to wait. But but now he sends them. See, I believe God sends us in all states. That, That he sends us and he empowers us by his Holy Spirit even when we don't feel like we're ready. And sometimes when we're obedient and we go, God will prepare us and give us the words to say, even in the, in the state of unreadiness. So, so maybe today you're just, you're waiting. And you, you're waiting for something different to happen. And maybe God's waiting for you. Pentecost has come. And the Holy Spirit is available. And we can trust him as he sends us and draws us and calls us to go. So how we close this service. I'm, I'm going to give us some space to pray, but before we do, I'm going to read my life first, and you guys will get sick of this if I'm here too long as your pastor, I guess, but this is my life first, and, and, and it, it, it's, it, I think it's, it's significant to us today because I believe this is what God's trying to do in his people so that we can be Jesus here. Paul writes in Romans 12, Therefore I urge you, brethren and sistren, <laughs> I don't think that's what it is, but <laughs> by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable God, which is your spiritual or reasonable uh, service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. That is God's desire for you. He's not wanting to conform you. He's he's not wanting you to learn a new religious system. He's not wanting you to to understand just from the outside in. He's wanting to change you from the inside out. And and, and there's one part we play in this. Our part is submission. We just say, God, it's yours. You know, I don't don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. All I know is to turn to you. And, and, And when I turn to you and when I give it to you, God, will you transform me? Later on, we'll talk about this, this verse probably a little bit further. You realize this word transforms only used one other time in the New Testament? You know when it's used? It's used in reference to the transfiguration of Jesus. <laughs> that, 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 that somehow there's a connection between what was going on with Jesus on that mount and what God's trying to do within us. See, see I believe God's on the Mount of Transfiguration was revealing Jesus for who he was. And I believe in Romans 12, he wants to transform us into who we really were intended to be. Not a false or or, or contrived image, but who God wants us to be. Ordinary people, fully submitted to God, can be transformed. I'm going to close the prayer times. Is Amy in here or is she... Can you just play something quiet? Don't you appreciate Amy? I appreciate Amy. I tell you, little little kids running around and all you do, I tell you, that's, that's not easy. Can we go back to the door? The door that's up here?
Jesus is here. He's knocking. He's not going to bust the door down. You know, I, I, Dan Walters used to always say, Nelson, Jesus is a gentleman. <laughs> I remember that phrase. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to bust your door down. But he's going to stand and knock. And, and he wants to be part. I mean, he, he wants you to invite him in. In, in. in Revelation 3, it says, you know, come in, I'll, I'll, I'll sup with you, is what the King James Version says. And, and the word that... that John the Revelator uses there is this word of a informal family dinner. It's not formal. You're sitting and you're talking and you're laughing and you're learning. You're growing. That's Jesus' desire for you today. Jesus is here. And he wants to meet with you. Stand if you will. I'm going to pray and then we're going to make the altars available. And then we'll sit down and we're going to spend some time in prayer. Um, When I say the altars are open, this is just a great place to meet with God. Uh, There's something, you know, altars like this are really not in the altar. So it's it's not about a theology, but it's about a place. It's about an attitude. it's It's about an action. And so I found in my life, that there's times in my life that when I take that step out and walk forward, that physical sign of obedience makes a difference in my emotional state and in my spiritual state. You don't have to do that, but, but maybe God's prompting you. Maybe, maybe that gut feeling's going on and, and you just, you're just, you're just looking for a closer walk with Jesus. There's no guilt in coming to the altar. Nobody's going to judge you. I rejoice with you because we see that you're seeking him. So I'm going to pray. The altars will be open. And then I'll invite you to sit in just a couple minutes. And then we'll have a closing time of prayer. Lord, help us to be responsive to you. It's all that matters. You've invited us on this great mission. And Lord, we want to be obedient to you. Help us now to respond if that's your will. We just um, were amazed at your love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's nothing that that we can boast in, but all we can do is rest in the sacrifice and the love of Jesus Christ. We have been restored to relationship with you. And Lord, we acknowledge there's places that we need you to grow us. I'm thankful, Heavenly Father, that you're not through with any of us. But you have more in mind. You have a desire and a direction for our life that allows us to be part of your greater story. The story of God. God's redemptive plan for humankind. Lord, we look around and we see a dark world. But Lord, we're reminded that light should shine even brighter in the dark. It should allow us to stand out, to shine forth, to truly be the church 
to truly be Jesus here. So help us, Lord, in our imperfections to rely upon you, in our weaknesses to allow your strength to be our strength. May we realize, Lord, that it's not always in the things we think we do best that we glorify you most. But Lord, oftentimes it's in the heartaches, it's in the hurts. It's even in our failures that you can redeem those into something dynamic that brings glory to your name. I'll confess, Lord, I need more you. I'm not satisfied, Lord, with where I am and I want to continue to grow. Help me, Lord, to fall ever more in love with you. You're so good, God. And you're so gracious and kind and forgiving and patient with us. Help us, Lord, to hold tight to you, to open that door of our heart and allow you to sup with us. Now, Lord, I just lift up this congregation. They're awesome people. And I'm privileged to be their pastor. Help us, Lord, just to continue to grow one day at a time. Help us to be obedient in this day. And as you give opportunity, may we not leave you waiting, but Lord, may we move forward in faith knowing that you're able to use vessels like us. Now, Lord, be with us as we leave. Keep us close to your heart and help us to be aware of your presence wherever we find ourselves today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless, folks. Don't forget, 5 o'clock, Thanksgiving dinner, next Saturday morning at what time? Somebody here? Huh? Nine, we're hanging to the green. So if you, if you like Christmas decorations, we'll see you next Saturday at 9 a.m. God bless, folks.